is Fred dressed like he owns multiple banjos? Welcome to another episode of the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo, the podcast where we delve into the mystery of Scooby-Doo media, getting clues from people who helped bring our favorite mystery-solving dog to life on various platforms, and maybe eating some Scooby snacks along the way. I'm your host, Alexa Lawler. Maybe it's me who needs to understand Fred. You know, walk a mile in his ascot. So let me get this straight. To stop annoying Fred, you're going to become Fred, which is guaranteed to annoy Fred? Sandwich, big sandwich. Build that sandwich high. Sandwich, big sandwich. Up into the sky. He used to say, whoa, nobody move. My tuna fish sandwich is missing. Well, that's a weird thing to say. Welcome to the second episode in this month's Be Cool Scooby-Doo theme. This week, I'm very excited to say that we have producer Zach Moncrief on the podcast. Zach was key in the development of the show, and I'm happy to share my interview with him in this episode. Hope you enjoy listening! How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Oh, no. Thank you so much. You know, it's so exciting to have people wanting to know and, and understand more about the show that uh, I worked on and helped create and helped facilitate with uh, the wonderful John Colton Barry and the rest of my awesome crew. So, you know, thank you for wanting to reach to me and talk to me. Of course. If you're up for it, I like to start off with three questions of Scooby-related trivia. Sure. Question one, can you name three of Daphne's antics from across the series? Uh, what exactly do you mean by antics? Like the fact that she's danger-prone Daphne, that kind of thing, or things that she's actually done? In terms of things that you added in, like the puppets, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From us. Oh, totally. Oh, my gosh. Um, beard is one of the most famous things that we'll always talk about. We gave Daphne her giant, uh, wonderful beard through an episode. Um, the puppets are definitely one of my favorites. That was our pilot episode. And then, and I'll explain this more maybe in detail later, but roller skates. And there's a big reason for why roller skates on Daphne. And I think we put those in the, um, the, uh, the magic episode, if I'm not mistaken, that's where we brought those in. Definitely. Um, and question two. In the episode I Scooby Dooby Doo, which is the wedding one, uh, which uh-huh. member of the gang is officiating the wedding? Uh, that would be um, Shaggy, right? Shaggy <laughs> is the best man. <laughs> How come I can't remember my own show? Who officiated that wedding? Who officiated the wedding? Oh, duh, that's right. Of course it was. <laughs> oh, my God. See, I told you on my own show I'm going to fail at these questions. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, <laughs> And last question for the trivia, uh, name the titles of two episodes from the show, uh, maybe one from each each season. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll name, uh, let's go with Party Like It's 1899, and then let's go with um, uh, Some Fred Time. How about those two? Perfect. Definitely. Yay, see, I didn't completely fail. I only failed on probably one of the easiest ones. It's so funny. I... <laughs> After not being on the show in so long, you know, John and I created 52 episodes in such a short time, and uh, it's a lot to try and remember all those details, and this was 
gosh, if it started airing five years ago, we were working on those maybe six or seven years ago, right? So that's a long time ago. And I can't even remember what I did yesterday. So the fact that I can even remember Scooby-Doo at all is a good thing. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and to kick off the general questions here, what's your relationship to Scooby-Doo? Did you grow up watching? Yeah, so um, I'm the, in that perfect pocket range. Even though Scooby came out and started in 69, uh, I didn't get into it until the mid-70s on my Saturday mornings. And that's when I was a very young kid and Saturday morning cartoons were like the best thing in the world. You couldn't wait to wake up and grab your sugary bowl of cereal and get out there and get in there. And Scooby-Doo and Scooby Laugh Olympics and Dynamut and all those shows were right coming. Like that's when they were a huge, huge thing for me. So I definitely had my share of Scooby when I was little, for sure. And do you have a favorite personal memory related to Scooby-Doo, whether that's from when you were a kid or when you started working on it? No, I mean, the only thing I can remember is definitely laughing and loving Scooby and Shaggy the same, same way as everyone did. Um, as a little kid, I'm sure I'd always walk around and, and imitate Scooby. And as a kid, not now, as a kid, I loved doing other voices. So I'm sure I was always doing like, oh, you know, all that kind of crazy Scooby stuff that I'm not going to embarrass myself more by doing any more than just that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably like, that's the thing. I, you know, my mom also uh, would watch cartoons with me as well. She was kind of a goofball that way. So if it wasn't the traditional classic Warner Brothers cartoons that we'd watch, we'd be watching. I remember watching Scooby. Um, yeah. And how did you come to work in animation? Um. Growing up, I liked to, like most of us in this industry, we drew, I drew all the time. Uh, I was a big fan of comic strips, like the Sunday comic strips, like Peanuts and Garfield and all of those when I was little. Um, and as I said, the Warner Brothers cartoons were a big, big influence on me, the Bugs Bunny shorts and uh, all those ones from the 50s. And so um, one day when I was trying to figure out what I was going to pursue in my career, I was drawing at a DMV of all places. And this guy sat down next to me and saw me drawing. And he's like, hey, do you know about this school out in California called CalArts? And it was a school that Disney helped found and start. And, uh, and I had never heard about it. And he said, oh, you look like you'd be really perfect fit for that. Um, and then I looked into it and found out that they had a whole character animation program. And in fact, were the only ones pretty much known in the entire world at the time that were really big for doing it. And uh, I thought, wow, what a perfect combo for me because my grades in math and in sciences weren't that great. So going into like architecture or that kind of a field. And I wasn't so much of a fine artist as much as I really loved making people laugh. I would do drawings for people all the time and they were mostly in this pocket. So it just seemed like the perfect thing for me to put all of that together. And uh, I applied to CalArts and came out to uh, Valencia, California and the rest is kind of I can go into more detail, but that's how I that's how I got my feet wet and really jumped into animation was coming out here. I'd been watching it and loving it my entire life. And then finally found out, wait a minute, I could actually have a career doing this. So I moved from New Jersey out to California to go to school and I've pretty much been here ever since. And was there a specific moment that sparked your interest in drawing and animation or had it just always been something that you grew up doing? Oh, it's cool. I have a really fun uh, little story on that. So back in like fourth grade, I would go home on the weekends and like I said, the, the Snoopy comics would be in the Sunday paper all the time where I had 
other little books of Snoopy stuff or just would collect them all. And I would sit there and trace them all the time. And then I'd bring them in the school the next day and show them off to people and give them out to kids and be like, look, look. And then, uh, although this is probably way bigger built up in my head, because it's more fun this way than how it probably actually happened. I remember one day being like cornered and surrounded by like a classroom full of people going, we don't think you know how to draw those characters. We think you just trace them all the time. And I was put on the spot, but luckily, since I had been tracing them so many times that when I took the piece of paper and put my pen to paper, all of a sudden it just came out like a really good drawing and everyone kind of backed off from me on it. But I realized like, hey, wait a minute, there's something really kind of fun here. I actually maybe have some kind of more of an ability than just someone who traces. And I was always drawing and doodling other things, but that was kind of the real connection to me that really kind of gave me like, hey, wait a minute, maybe there's something more to this art and this love I have of of drawing this kind of uh, stuff and these characters. And again, like I said, I'm sorry, I loved the idea of entertaining people from a little, from like as far as I can remember. So whether it's me being a goofball to them or being able to do it in a drawing fashion, it was just a win-win because I could put both of those together, you know, do something funny and also bring someone laughter that they could take with them. I thought that was kind of cool. Definitely, that is amazing. I survived and then here's the other cool thing. Apple has been doing these new, really, really wonderful uh, Snoopy cartoons over the last couple of years. And I actually got to this just as freelance things. And luckily it worked out in between jobs. I had time to do a freelance board. And so I worked on two different Snoopy things. And I'm like, wow, I finally got to work on an actual real Snoopy project. And they're, they're actually coming out wonderfully. I know we're not here to talk about that, but uh, at some point when one set has already been released on Apple TV and the other one will come out um, hopefully soon, they're just so charming and trying to go back and cover that size. So it's just really cool to have something come full circle that way. Definitely. That is so cool. Very exciting. And what was the first job that you ever had in animation? The first one I can really kind of point to officially was um, I worked uh, as an internship and then got into uh, eventually an artistic role in um in features in uh like the one movie that you may or may not know it's called the page master i don't know if you know of that movie at all if not uh the second one that you may have totally heard of is cats don't dance those are my two first like real jobs in the industry where i was actually drawing and getting paid for doing artwork um and luckily at that same time uh hanna barbera was turning into cartoon network and they started a whole shorts program and uh, during that, these shorts that were going to be uh, created and pitched and sold there would spin off into series. And so I had sold with another friend of mine a cartoon to them to do as a short. Um, it never made it to series, but it was at the same time that Johnny Bravo, Dexter's Lab, Powerpuff Girls, Cow and Chicken, all of us were there creating and playing together in the same world. And it was just, uh, I just amazing that I got to go and create my own thing so, so short and so quickly into this industry. And uh, moving forward a few years, how did you come to work on Be Cool Scooby-Doo? So that's a cool story, too. Um, I was in between jobs. You know, the way this industry works a lot of the times is we're not like most jobs where you get into a, a studio and you just stay at that job. Like, I'm working for a bank and I'm going to be at this bank until I retire. We get onto shows and we work on them for the run of the show. So, for example, Phineas and Ferb, I was on there for the run of a few seasons and then left and went to go work on another series. Um, and I think I was in the middle of working on a series called Brickleberry and was trying to see what other options I had out there because I had been on the show for two seasons and was going to the third. And someone said, hey, you should talk to these people over at 
Warner Brothers. They're thinking about doing a completely different show. Uh, I thought I was going in for an interview on that. And when I walked in, there was all these people in the room and they said, hey, we love what you did on Phineas. And we'd like to see if you'd like to help us. We're trying to do a different take on Scooby. We want to create a, a full-on comedy where it's not the traditional kind of, they've just, they had just finished doing um, a really darker, scarier tone version of Scooby-Doo. And they said they want to try and go the opposite way. Let's go complete, full-on, wacky comedy, I guess. It's how they originally had pitched it to me. And I was like, wow, I would, I'd love to take a stab at this. I, um, like we had talked about earlier, I had some fond memories of a kid, of a childhood of being with Scooby-Doo. I hadn't really re revisited them since then. And I thought, how much fun would it be to actually take these characters and bring them all up to a giant comedic ensemble? Um, and so I kind of pitched them what I thought I'd want to do with that. And they were excited and I got the, I got offered the job. Can you delve a little bit more into what the development process was like for the show? Yeah. So this is crazy. So when I got there, there was already an art director attached, a character designer, and they had created all this artwork that they had sold to an executive at Cartoon Network saying, hey, we want to do this wacky, crazy version of, of Scooby-Doo. And this artwork was amazing. It was really outlandish. It was uh, Sam Register um, from uh, Warner Brothers had pitched this idea that he wanted to say, what if we pretended that different artists back in the late 60s, uh, ones from the underground comic world, if you will, had designed our gang instead of the traditional ones that we all knew. So that was this first kind of path they had taken. And in doing so, they created these characters that were very, um, they're, they're, they looked like they would have been more handled, like a Warner Brothers, very broad and crazy and kooky in their kind of actions and in their attitudes. Um, but that was slightly different than what uh, I wanted to do with the characters. So when I came in, I was like, wow, these are great, but they're not going to really work with how I wanted to handle uh, the rewrite on these characters themselves. I wanted to bring in John Barry, who I know you've met with before, and we wanted to kind of redevelop these characters a little bit more from the inside. And I wanted to do more subtle comedy than broad, wacky, zany comedy. And so um, it, was it was an interesting choice and, and kind of struggle that we had trying to pull these designs that were meant to do something different and a background world that was meant to do something different to a world of how I wanted to handle the characters. Um, and so that was really tough, to be honest with you. I kind of felt like I didn't want to step on the toes completely of the direct of the art director and character designer that had started, but I knew I needed to push them somewhere different to work with the vision I had for this series and how I wanted it to work. And uh, as you can imagine, coming in late and, and trying to, to fight something that's kind of already established, we both kind of pushed and pulled a little bit. And then eventually you have to stop because <laughs> you have to start making a show, you know? And uh, we kind of settled on an area and went forward. And uh, that, that was probably the craziest part of the development process was trying to get and find a look that was going to support creatively, comedically what I wanted to do, um, but also trying to hold on to some of where they were trying to go originally, if that makes sense. Definitely. You know, the best, the, the coolest thing though that I got to do uh, when I bought, when I got, was able to get John Barry on the crew with me and John Barry was someone I met and worked with on Phineas and Ferb and just think he's probably, probably the best writer in the industry, if not one of the best comedic uh, people I've ever worked with. Um, I said, look, let's, let's work on this together. And we both decided and figured out our own kind of approach as to how we wanted to handle these characters, how we wanted to lift the other three characters, everyone always knew Scooby and Shaggy as being these 
comedy engines that were out there and that were uh, running well on their own. But we wanted to figure out how do we do this with these other characters? Because we've kind of always saw these other characters or how I remembered them was they weren't, they didn't really have points of view. They had more of like character traits, you know, loving traps or being from wealth doesn't tell me anything about your character. It's the more, more inside and more of what you do. So getting to sit there with John and figuring out, we kept, we kept on calling it the math of these characters was just so much fun and so exciting. And we'd walk for hours and talk and come up with these things that we just had us laughing. And we eventually figured out the perfect kind of archetype for these, these characters. And it's probably one of the things I'm the most satisfied with is that I think if we've done anything really great with the series, it's what we did with those characters on the inside. Definitely. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but I wanted to go back to the designs a little bit. Um, were the final designs a little bit tweaked from what you had originally seen or did the artists kind of win out on, on that front? Yeah. You know, um, like I said, the, the original designs that were there, um, were not something that were in the mindset of what I wanted to work with for what I was trying to do. They were designed for a different style of comedy. And so unfortunately, you know, what I probably should have done the moment that I knew and got them to buy off on what I wanted to do character wise is I probably should have unfortunately said, sorry, character designer or art director, you're not the right fit for what I'm trying to do. I need to start over and get someone new. But I kind of felt like I didn't want to be disrespectful to the, the team that had already started and Sam's vision of what he wanted, Sam Register's vision. So I tried really hard to push and pull these designs with someone who wasn't comfortable with where I was trying to push them. And I think, you know, um, I, I guarantee you, he will say he was never happy with where they were at the end of the day. And I can say the same thing that at the end of the day, I don't think, I think if I had been given a character designer that was really trying to hit my influence and my, uh, my goal of what I was trying to do and, and positively trying to do it instead of kind of feeling like they're being pushed down another uh, path. I think we would have gotten somewhere a lot stronger. Um, but I think again, at the end of the day, I don't think either one of us felt like we could go out saying, this is the best designs we've ever had. And as you've seen, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this again as well, it was not very well received by a lot of people. Um, you know, the comments that came out saying it looked a lot like it's so funny. We got the gamut of people said Family Guy a lot. People said Gravity Falls. People said uh, Brickleberry. People said, uh, I don't know, they said a couple of other shows and we're like, how can it look like all of those shows? And it was very funny. At one point early on, uh, Sam Register was said the same thing. He had an issue about it being a Family Guy thing. And so I immediately went and pulled up a model sheet of Meg from Family Guy and our model sheet at the time of Daphne and blew them up to about two feet, three feet on my wall and just hung them in my office and wrote same question mark. Cause you could clearly see if you really honestly were to go online right now and take Meg and take Daphne and line them up side by side, there are so many things that are completely different, but there is a design sensibility that I will agree with that is there over, you know, underlying. And I think that's what people kind of were bumping. Uh, again, the last thing that was so funny, John Barry used to always laugh and say, Cool. So you're saying our show looks like one of the most popular shows on TV. And the problem with that is what? Like, what, what's the real problem here? Um, and I think most of the fans of the show, and even people who hated it at first, you kind of get used to and see how the designs kind of work after you kind of accept these new designs. You don't, they don't, they don't punch you in the face, I guess, as much as they did when you first look at them that I think 
there's some really amazing artwork going on there. Some of the monster designs are incredible. The animation in some of it's really well as you get further into the series. And the background designs and, and just propping and background designs and artwork that was going on there, especially as you get into second season, is just beautiful. So, you know, I hope people like find their way past their initial slap in the face and try it out because most people wind up really enjoying the show. Definitely. Um, and what would you say to people who maybe refuse to try the show because of how the designs look? I just say you're missing out on some of the best comedy writing of the show ever. You know, we've talked to so many people. John and I have talked to so many people that are huge Scooby people. And we've won over some of the biggest Scooby-Doo fans in the like on the webs. Right? All these people that have this love for this, this show that's been around so many years. And when you can win over those people and they sit there and go, wow, some of these characters are some of the best iterations they've ever seen since the initial 69 show, that's a really good compliment. That means that we set out to do what we what we did. So I would just say to those people, I'm sorry, you're, you're missing out on some really funny, funny stuff. You know, before we started this today, I quickly was just popping around just trying to watch a couple episodes just to remind myself. And I'm sitting here laughing my butt off going, this is some brilliant, really smart, funny stuff that we're doing. And if people are just because they're so traditionalist, they don't want to see something that punches them a little bit in the face with the design, cool. Then you're just missing out on some really funny stuff. I, I feel bad that you're not choosing to go enjoy yourself because it because that's what it really is at the end of the day. At the end of the day, these shows are really good episodes and you can get over the initial shock of the look. Definitely. I don't think that there has ever been a show as funny as Be Cool for the Scooby franchise. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks. I I agree. I mean, I try not to always be disrespectful to the to the other creators and producers that have done it because they've followed different rules and different they had different agendas that they wanted to achieve. But I think the number one thing I wanted on this show was I wanted people to see these characters a little more than what we've ever seen them for and of course laugh. And I think we achieved that on pretty much every episode. I I'm I can say I'm really happy with what we did. Definitely. Um, and going back to being able to uh, kind of develop the the characters a little bit more, um, what was it like to be able to play with Daphne and Fred and Velma, especially? Oh, so much fun. Are you kidding me? So John and I had this giant board, a uh, big old uh, bulletin board in my office, and we kind of laid out all of our characters with kind of putting Fred up top. And then we put uh, Daphne on the left, Velma on the right, and then Scooby and Shaggy on the bottom. And we kind of made this math of, okay, if we start every, we start this whole series out with figuring out who Fred is, and we want to make sure that everyone is pushing and pulling off of each other, kind of this like math board of showing, well, if Daphne is this way, then we need to have the counter by having uh, Velma this way. And oh, then that can bounce off of Fred. So just kind of sitting there and figuring that part out was just so much fun. But um, pulling from where both John and I have some of our same comedy bones coming from. His is a little stronger than mine, but uh, if he didn't mention it, there's Monty Python, Woody Allen, and um, uh, Brooks, Mel Brooks. And uh, bringing all of those three into our joking, we, we said that they were in the writing room with us. And so when we were coming up with these characters, we were pulling from some of the things that they had done or played. Or uh, like, for example, Fred, we really, really heavily pulled his insides from Gene Wilder, especially Gene Wilder and Young Frankenstein. If you guys haven't seen Young Frankenstein, you should definitely check it out. Um, but it's like, 
pulling and finding these influences made John and I laugh so much as a kid ourselves and even today and some of the comedy greats and kind of putting their spirit in the room with us was just so much fun to just sit there and play and take these characters that everyone thinks they know and uh, just try and take where that starting point was and go one step further and give them a new world. And, uh, you know, one of the other things, I'm, I'm sorry, you're going to get me like nonstop talking, but Daphne is one of my favorite ones we also got to play with. Um, having Daphne be the pretty rich girl in all the other episodes or other series we saw was something we couldn't wait to play with and break and give her more character and more more of substance and not be about these tropes that we've seen before, but make her someone who has a really strong voice in the show. And I think we succeeded like triple on that. Like it was amazing. And with Shaggy and Scooby typically being seen in the Scooby franchise as the comedic duo, uh, was it at all difficult to try and like either match Fred, Daphne and Velma to them or kind of bring them down a bit? Yeah. I mean, that was the, that was the tricky part was, you know, our marching orders, or at least kind of how we took them was we wanted to make a comedic ensemble. And when you've always had Shaggy and Scooby be the comedy relief of the show, how do you still keep them strong, but allow these other characters to have their moments and have their lead? Um, And I think we did a really good job of balancing that. I think we took a very fun, simple approach of just labeling and understanding that Shaggy and Scooby are all of us in this, in this world watching the episode. We're the ones that if we walked in anywhere scary, we just want to get out of there. That's our main goal. And we kept them focused on that as their main drive and their main understanding of they're the ones that don't ever want to be there, even though we don't know why they're all hanging out together, but they're the ones that don't ever want to be there. And it, so it allowed us to just keep their focus where they've always been. We kind of didn't really uh, change them. The only thing I think we did, which uh, for good or for bad, is we kind of didn't feel that just them eating was a funny joke. So if and when we tried to bring food into the play, we tried to make sure that it had somewhere it was going, that it had a comedic twist to it, not just, oh, it's funny because they're eating a lot. Like that to us wasn't necessarily a a joke. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like we had so much fun with those guys. We kind of figured out this rule. And I don't know if John talked about this too, but we gave Scooby this rule of he can only say four words. So if you watch any episodes that John and I were 100% had everything to do with, Anytime Scooby talks, he's only saying four words, no more. We can have him say less, but we tried. And there may be one time we hit five, but that was a fun challenge too, to see like, how do we keep him? It just made us feel like we were keeping Scooby a more realistic Scooby than ever. Um, at least that's how we perceived it. And it was a fun challenge, which made it even funnier for that character and how he reacted to things. I'm sorry, can I talk about something with Daphne? Because I mentioned it earlier when you asked about, we called, John and I called them Daphneisms. There were the different things that, gave her her kind of quirks and her weird things. Um, And that kind of came from two places, but the main place that started, and that's why I mentioned the roller skates, because that by far is not my favorite one at all. But when I came onto the show and I was pitched the show and I saw the lineup of all of them, they had Daphne on roller skates. And I'm like, what's the Daphne with roller skates? And they said, oh my God, we just think it'd be so funny if Daphne was just always on roller skates and she was just falling down all the time. And it was just, it would be really funny. And I'm like, well, you know, the first rule that John and I always have for our characters is we don't want our characters to be stupid. They're not dumb. And if Daphne were to always be falling on roller skates and she was wearing them all the time, that would make her stupid. She, that means she can't, after 52 episodes, learn how to roller skate. Why is she still wearing them after the first time if she can't figure it out? So, but that made us say that, okay, well, 
you know, John and I always loved getting challenges. And so we're like, all right, we can't get rid of that. But what if because of Daphne's upbringing, remember in our book, she's brought up with privilege and, and money and her butlers had butlers, that kind of thing. So she never had to do anything for herself, never had to experience anything for herself. So in our mind, this whole, ep this whole series was this character was the Rapunzel that was finally let, let go from her tower to go experience the world for herself. And because of it, anything that she found interesting to try, she would then try. And so that's how we first came up with going, so that's why she would do roller skates. So we justified the roller skate episode, but then we put that right away in our back pocket and we're like, let's try not to almost ever use roller skates because we're not happy with that one for the reason I said. So we, that's where we came up with things like the puppets or the beard or all the other things that you constantly see her getting involved with. That was all born from this wonderful challenge of this one drawing where they were trying to get us to use roller skates in every episode. So it's kind of fun how you can take something and it's a perfect example of taking a challenge that you get and instead of being defeated by it, find a way to overcome it and still let it inspire something new. So anyway, I just wanted to share that story because I think that's a fun story that people don't know. Yeah, definitely. And what was it like to try and come up with a Daphneism for each episode across 52 episodes? Was that a challenge at all? Oh, totally. Um, I would still probably credit that more with, with John. I think we would, I think there was times that he and I would just come up with and list out things. Uh, you know, this one thing John and I would do at least two or three times a day, but every morning when we got together is uh, we were working on the Warner Brothers ranch lot. And it's where they filmed a, a bunch of things. There's the Friends fountain from the open of Friends are there. And uh, uh, a bunch of other movies were filmed on this lot. There's a bunch of houses there. Christmas Vacation was filmed there. A bunch of stuff. But so we would go take our walks and we'd walk the entire lot and just talk. And that was kind of our way of just like having a spitball session of coming up with things. And I'm sure part of that would be us just throwing out like, what are some fun things we'd like to see Daphne do? Where were where could we take this? And I'm sure John kind of had a, a, a list that he would keep of those. And uh, But for the most part, I think a lot of them would be, so he would try and throw that in if they felt it matched an episode. Or sometimes I'm sure he would look at the episode itself and go, what's the structure? What are we dealing with here? How do we, what's the best thing we could throw in it? Like there's one episode, Game of Chicken, where it just seemed like, oh, this would be the perfect thing as they're going into the caves that there'd be narration, like a movie would have the narrator. Or, and so we just decided to give Daphne that whole narrator run because we just thought, oh my God, that'd be hilarious if she's trying to narrate everything they're doing and how that could become a funny, crazy runner. And uh, I think it worked out well in that episode too. One other thing I'll say about that show too, on that episode specifically is when we started out the series, I knew stylistically how I wanted these episodes to be handled as far as from boarding and directing style. And uh, the original people I was really hunting after, I wasn't able to get because of either budgetary reasons or just them being involved in other shows. And uh, had to pull the trigger really quickly on some of my team. And of course, everyone worked out to be wonderful at the end. So I'm not disparaging anyone on my crew. They're all wonderful. They all brought so much to the, to the game. But um, that episode is the first time I had one of the directors I really wanted on the show because I knew he was going to get what I was looking for. And that show kind of set the tone for me to say, hey, everybody, let's look at this one. This one's working and firing on so many things, so many cylinders as to how I want to stage the show, how I want to play the comedy, wide versus close-ups versus action. And uh, so it's one of my favorites just because it's the turning point in the series. It was like episode three that we finally got 
on the right path that I could say, hey, everyone look at this episode as a guidance, so. Um, and I think one thing that Be Cool does really well is kind of playing with the dynamics of the gang as well, like splitting them up in different groups that we maybe haven't seen before. Was that a goal that you wanted when you were going into the show? Yeah, I think we tried talking about that. I mean, the, the one joke we kept hitting over the head that it always made me laugh is every once in a while I'd be like, Shaggy and she'd be like, wait, how does this always happen? Like, we're always getting separated from the, like, we were very, we made them very aware of things that I think we all uh, knew about and had fun with. Um, but I think that was definitely another thing that John loves those challenges. He loves to write and push himself to do things. He's very much on a, a way of, cool, we've all seen that before. What's the new thing, right? Like, that's a great starting place that you want to do a gremlin on the plane, but what haven't we seen? What what haven't we done? Yes, there's certain tropes that people are going to expect to see, but let's take it somewhere that they haven't seen before because they've already seen that that thing that ver and multiple versions of that thing, right? So, you know, uh, like, uh, again, jumping to another series, but on Phineas and Ferb, when John was doing the Christmas vacation, uh, the Christmas episode, the original script came in and it was kind of written of like a Grinch episode, like the, the Grinch stole Christmas. And we were like, well, that's not, that's been done before. Why are we going to do something that's been done before? Let's push ourselves to do something completely different. And at least you have a chance of, of winning that way versus just making something that everyone feels like they've seen before. So that's what John really tried to do on the series. I really honestly believe that. He really looked at these characters and these setups. And when he got into situations where he could split them off and do different things, he he like just loved taking advantage of, of being able to do that. For sure. Um, and taking a step back here, for those that don't know, can you describe what your role was on Be Cool and maybe what a day looked like for you? Sure. So my role was, uh, I think I was just, I believe I was just producer was my title on the show. But, you know, the tough thing in this industry is the different roles don't always mean exactly uh, what they're labeled as. I would consider myself more the showrunner than anything on this on the series because everything went through me as far as creatively at the top of the chain. There were, there were two other executives above us that would look at stuff as well, uh, maybe even three-tiered. But um, the day-to-day -day creative decisions on the whole were always something that I got to play with. So to talk about a typical day, a typical day may start with John and I walking around and breaking a new story. We may talk about what's a new idea we want to do. He may come in with an idea. I may start off with an idea. And we'll spend uh, maybe an hour just kind of making each other laugh and coming up with a, a thread of a concept of what the conflict could be. How's it going to, more importantly, how's it going to push each one of our characters' buttons so we can get comedy out of everybody? Um, uh, and then John would usually start getting into writing on that on his own um, on a first pass on some kind of a, of a layout pass of like, what's the beats of that story going to be? Um, the rest of my day would then have me looking at storyboards. So storyboards would go to a storyboard artist who would take our scripts and take John and I would do, uh, mostly John, but would do temp dialogue pass of the entire script. So we'd read out a script so the board artist's would be able to hear almost a dialogue track from the beginning to know maybe how we are anticipating a line read to be. So they'd understand hopefully the joke or the comedy of what's going on. And they would start to storyboard that and work with their immediate directors who would go back and forth with notes. And when it got to a stage where the director felt it was good enough for me to look at, it would come into my world. And I would sit in my office and open up. Uh, I looked at every single panel, every single board drawing, every single 
there was not one drawing that I didn't at least look at or if anything touch a little bit as far as even if it was as simple as just the staging of a shot, how the camera was, um, and depending on the team, how much I would have to get in and draw it. Um, the other parts of my day would include me looking at every single design that came across the, the my plate. Uh, every monster, every in, incidental character, every uh, book they would pick up, these would all be designed by a design team who would go through a lead, but then that lead would then send everything to me to get final approval on. And so I would sometimes be doing drawovers on those as well. Um, the same thing would happen in color. I would look at all color for the show. So artistically, there was not one thing on the show that didn't at least come through and get some kind of thought from me, a, an approval or even a tweak of colors. Sometimes I'd take things in and adjust colors myself and send them on back through. Um, and then uh, records. So we have to record all of our actors. Um, John and I would go to every single record and sit with a wonderful recording director uh, who you should talk to someday. Uh, Colette, I think, has done multiple Scooby series, and she could probably give you a wealth of what that's like, just helping to record these famous, amazing, talented actors we've had on the Scooby show for so many years. But we would go and help direct those record series, and then um, I would be involved in all editing suites. So we would take these boards and build animatics, and we'd get color back and then edit them. I'm sure I'm boring the heck out of you. The, the last thing we would do is um, we would go do a full-on mix of everything. So that was the best. So, uh, gosh, another thing you should talk to is our composer, because he did an amazing job musically. Um, but uh, the final and best thing is was when you get to the final mix stage. So that would be in there with um, a bunch of um, audio engineers, and we'd have a giant screen up with the show on it. And I'd sit there and get to play with all the sound effects and dialogue and music and figure out all the balancing. And I'll sit there and not ever see it in a better way or hear it in a better way than what you do during that time. Um, and fortunately and unfortunately, sometimes everything I just mentioned to you would happen in one day. Uh, or sometimes just one or two of those would be taking me all day long to get through. But being in that role in a showrunner role, you are getting your hands dirty in every single aspect of the show. And that's what I did. I love that. That's not boring at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I just felt like I was rattling off like, and then I take out the trash and then I put it in the trash can. And that like, it's, it was really fun and creative because I would get so excited by like every one of those stages, depending on who it was I was working with. But for the most part, every one of those stages would be just such a, it's like Christmas morning of opening my folder and being like, oh my gosh, what is all this cool stuff I get to look at today and, and approve and yes and, like yes anding was the best thing to be able to go, ooh, ooh what about if we add this kind of fun thing to this? Uh, and if it inspired then creativity back the other way, it was always, it was always fun. So um, it's a very busy job, but it was very rewarding in that sense to actually get to be part of and see all this amazing people all these talented people creating so much great stuff that I got to say, yes, no, yes. You know, I get to be the, the leader in that respect and hopefully inspire them to do good stuff too. Definitely. Um, and we talked about this a little bit, but was there anything that you maybe haven't talked about that you wanted to accomplish with the show? Hmm. You know, like I said, besides um, just trying to, uh, you know, make a funny show. That was the, the the main goal. I think the real main thing I wanted to do was to try and make these characters something that we had never seen before. You know, one other funny thing I wanted to share too, when John and I were in development, 
the first thing that John started doing was because he needed to, he went back and actually watched some of this, like some episodes and some shorts and some, uh, some, some content from as many of the different uh, iterations of Scooby-Doo as possible. But he and I were both on this one major page, which was we sat down and said, we want to make the show that we all think Scooby-Doo is. And what we meant by that is it's like, if you go and watch some of the original, even the 69 Scooby-Doo's, but some of the other ones that come along, they didn't always, they weren't always as the funniest things you ever saw, or they weren't always these brilliant, smart, amazing mysteries that if you really put your mind to it, you could solve it too. Like, but that's how we remembered them. We remembered these great mysteries with these really funny characters, with these great song chase sequences. Like we had this list of things that were like, what are the things we remember in our heart about the series? And let's try and tackle that. Let's not go look at exactly what was done because that may steer us the wrong way, but let's just try and create the thing that in our hearts that we remembered Scooby to be, but making them just this, this one step funnier. And that's where, like you were saying, the main goal I really set out to do was I wanted to make these characters have more depth and more dimension and more, uh, more, yeah, that's it. Be, be bigger than what they've ever been before. And I really think we succeeded in that. And uh, again, we kind of talked about this, but were there any more influences on the style of the show, whether art or humor or anything? Um, I think, like I said, our 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 dream writers team that we like channeled in the room, and this was more John. John's made way better at this than I was. Um, was that just that that main three pack that we were looking at, and where our influences came from? Uh, that was the biggest influence on how we were handling this. And plus, it was like John and I always had this rule, like we make shows for ages two to 99, right? Like if you're 100, sorry, we're not making it for you, but two to 99, like we wanted to make stuff that if we're going to laugh at it, that hopefully everyone else is going to laugh at it. And uh, that was, you know, our, our that's what we did on Phineas, I feel. And uh, sorry, Phineas and Ferb. Um, and I feel that that approach is the best way to go about it is if it's going to make you truly laugh, and you're probably in the right spot. You're working in the right field because there's got to be someone else that feels that same way. So I'm sorry. That's where our came from. Mostly coming from the comedic side, mostly coming from character. Character was key to us, and we really wanted to take these characters and push them somewhere. And that's the, that's the influences came from those writers I mentioned earlier, that comedy styling of how those guys wrote and, and their ways of handling character was just so smart and so risky and so wonderful that it still works and holds up today. And I think, you know, if anyone's looking to be a comedy writer to go studying those, those people and what they did is such a great starting point. Um, I think that's the best I can say on that. I'm sorry, one more thing, because I haven't mentioned it. I was really, really happy to tack, uh, tackle Daphne, to be honest with you. I just really want to empower a character like that. Also, what we did with Velma, we had so many great other ideas for Velma that like we were going to hint that she was in some secret society that we didn't even know about, that she was always trying to hide, that only like Mensa people got into. And we had so many other things planned for that character. But Daphne just kind of almost became the the show stealer in the fact of how wonderful of a, of a strong willed character she was and how smart she was. It's, it's kind of, it's funny when I'll read people's reviews and they're like, oh, she's so silly and quirky. We're like, actually, she's when you hear where we're coming from with her, it makes so much more sense that she's actually just someone who's experienced life for the first time and has no fear about it and is actually super intelligent and smart and just isn't afraid to try and do anything because it's, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to learn something about yourself kind of thing. 
So I'm sorry. That's if you were asking me, like, again, influences and what things we wanted to try and do with the show, that kind of recaps and captures both of those. Definitely. That is perfect. Um, and speaking of Phineas and Ferb, with both you and John having worked on the show, did you actively try and make it kind of similar? Or did that just, did that similarity just come from, like, both your and John's style? Yeah, I think that's kind of what it is. I think that's why he and I mesh together so well is that anytime he and I worked together honestly like got down and rolled up our sleeves on the Phineas and Ferb episode and wrote together again I would almost always give John that main main credit on almost every part of what we write but he will be wonderful and point out where I'm way more involved than I give myself credit for as well but we connected so well on that series and John's episodes definitely stand out from anyone else's in that series so I think it's more of bringing our uh, approach to character and our approach to comedy that we carried more so than saying Phineas. Um, originally, one of the things we weren't able to do was John and I had bigger, loftier goals for songs in Be Cool Scooby-Doo. The original intent was that in the same way that Phineas and Ferb had a new song every episode, John and I wanted to approach this series the same way by writing and creating an original song for every episode. And unfortunately, that was just with the requirements of time that we had and the staffing we were allowed to have and everything else, it was one of the things that we weren't able to really achieve to where I think we only got like two, two songs, I think in there that he and I were able to somewhat play with, but the rest were, some were just pulled from a, a library that we had that we kind of had to use. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, we, it's just our comedy stylings. I, I love Phineas and Ferb. It's one of my favorite shows I've ever worked on. But I don't think we were trying to make it specifically tooled in, in that way. We just followed our guts. And I wanted to talk a bit more about the records. Uh, was it at all difficult to try and get uh, the cast who's been doing the characters for so long into a more uh, comedic-based Scooby? You know, that's fun. To, fun question, too. Those, those guys are so talented. They're so amazing. Uh, every single one of them I could talk about forever. Um, I would say because we brought in um, the, a new Velma, that that was a completely different, Kate was a completely different casting choice and she already came from a comedic background. So that was a, a much easier place to play. Um, but I respected, like John and I would talk daily about how much we respected Frank Welker doing Scooby and, and uh uh, and Fred or, uh, you know, dealing with Shaggy and, and Daphne about how we wanted to respect these guys who've been doing these characters for so long. They have their own internal uh, engines that they were driving these characters with, and we didn't want to be insulting to them. So um, we tried to just kind of like have a play zone with them to where we'd let them play with the lines a little bit, how they felt they would want to handle them and then steer them kind of a little bit more in the direction we were looking at. They worked. They worked along with us so wonderfully, though. I mean, yeah, were there were there struggles at times? I think there were in the beginning, because uh, because they were so used to doing the characters the way they had always done them. We were asking them to read so much faster, and we had specific ways we needed lines to hit for the jokes to hit a specific way. So at times it kind of felt like we would have to give line reads, and I think that's the most insulting thing to do for an actor. Um, but they were so gracious and so wonderful and so like willing to try and give us what we wanted that uh, I, I, I can say like, if anything, we were more the problems trying to force them out of their zone than 
than they ever were rude or nasty in, in any way to us. They were just, they were just such a delight to work with. I mean, we're working with legends. All of those guys are legends. They're amazing. Um, I, I wish I wish everybody had a chance to get in a room with Gray Delisle or Gray. Is it Gray Delisle now? Or is it Gray Griffin? I'm sorry, Gray, don't get mad. Um, but uh, she's the most amazing voice talent I think I've ever worked with in my career. She like channels. I think there's like a there's like a bazillion dead souls in the universe, and she can channel them and just have them talk through her body because she has more voices and more personalities and more attitudes than anyone I've ever seen. And it's oh, it's so much fun to go in a room with someone like that. Anyway. Because again, because think about it, John and I also got to have a lot of fun creating these little incidental characters, right? So when you watch any one of our episodes, there's the villain, which unfortunately, <laughs> nine times out of ten, it's who's the only other person we've met besides the gang? Oh, I wonder if they are the ones that did it. Um, but when we would have Gray or have uh, Frank or have um, uh, any of the guys do those spinoffs of those characters to help us create a new character we got to really just let them explore and have fun. And it's, it's like, that, that's the times when you're sitting there going, oh my gosh, I'm getting paid to play with these people. How much fun is that, right? That sounds like so much fun. It is. It's so much fun. It's like I said, I wish everyone could find the time to just go into a, have, have to be a fly on a wall in a recording studio for some of those sessions. Cause they're just, they're just so much fun. Definitely. Um, and now five years after the show premiered, uh, people are still discovering it and talking about it, whether it's good or bad in criticism. But when you first started working on the show, did you ever imagine that years down the road, it would still be a topic of conversation? Yeah, you know, the hard thing is, is that I drink the Kool-Aid on every show I get on. Like, uh, and what I mean by that is no matter how good or bad the show is, because I put so much effort into every show I'm on, I'm always hoping, wishing, and and just waiting for this thing to be the biggest thing ever. And I've had a couple of times in my career where that's happened, and then sometimes where it hasn't. Um, but yeah, like John and I, when we were first creating the episode uh, Party Like It's 1899, I think it was originally called Weathering Dipes or Weathering Depths. Um, we we uh, we both talked about like, man, how cool would it be if like next Comic Con we're walking around and there's a whole gang of people dressed like Scooby, but in our model, like in this episode's models, like that would be the coolest thing ever. And like we would have sit there and dream about how we were just gonna have this giant impact on everyone, like kind of rewake up Scooby Doo to the world. And it, you know, it was kind of tough because when we would show the episodes or the the ideas of what we were doing and let people watch. They were blown away by it that we were like, man, this show is going to be the biggest thing ever. And then, of course, to have it come out and have it get slammed so badly on the design style and the art look and people not wanting to give it a chance, it definitely sucked. That's not what we wanted. You know, we just wanted people to see that we weren't trying to hurt or ruin a franchise. Instead, we were just trying to, like, like wake them up a little bit and show a different a different approach to them. And, and like I've said before, we just wanted to explore their characters more and share that kind of comedic side with everybody. So um, it is really cool that five years later that people are still talking about it. I hope more and more people find it. I hope more and more people give it a chance and get used to the art style. Because again, the main thing we looked to do was make these characters entertaining. And I swear we did that. Like I, I was just watching some of these episodes and just laughing out loud at some of the lines and the one-off things we did. They were just so stupid and silly that I'm like, all right, cool. If you can't, if you can't get past a drawing style to see what we were doing, because still the characters acting is all there, the subtleties, the expressions that we're doing. And again, I would look a few episodes into the series. 
because like I said, we had to struggle a little bit in the beginning to get there. But even that first episode has some like that vending machine gag, like no one's ever seen anything like that before with Scooby and Shaggy. Like, how can you not find that to be super clever, super hilarious, really smart, really funny? Um, you know, I just, I, I, it, it hurts me when I find out that people are like not even willing to give it a shot or just want to shoot it down. But to the flip side, the amount of people that have come out and found it and discovered it and said, out oh, it's their favorite of all of the Scooby series. It's like, that's the rewarding part. If we just have a couple of those, it makes us really happy. Definitely. Um, and with the rise of opinions, especially anonymous opinions being tossed around on social <laughs> media, uh, what is it like to have people like constantly criticizing a show that you put so much love into from, yeah, you know, just behind a screen? It, it's Well, I mean, and that's something we've been seeing happening for so many years. Like I try not to, it's, more people I know, more people that hate things are the ones out there making comments than the people that love is kind of how I feel. Like the amount of things I love in this world that I won't say a thing on, but someone will say something negative on Facebook or on Twitter or on next door. I'll be the first one to be like, oh yeah. And like throw my venom back at them. Cause that's where people want to spend their time. It's like, unfortunately people don't spend enough time spot speaking positively, but um, I, I don't know. You know, it's like, I knew that I'm not making a show that Although I wanted everyone to love the series, I knew there were the fact that we were doing anything different with what the Scooby characters look like, even in the tiniest bit. And again, like I said, I didn't start with these designs there. That's where they kind of came into my pocket. And then I tried to pull them somewhere that was more into how I would work with them. But it's like you do that with any of these characters. You change them and tweak them even a little bit, and you're just going to get tons of hate. And then rightfully so. It has a sitcom feel to it and for a reason it looks like a lot of the sitcom show styles that are out there and the reason they did that is because that's what i'm comfortable with working in and that's how we sold the comedy its best and uh you know i can't worry about i really try not to go and look at those and read them but gosh if you want to have fun watch john barry's twitter he will take and play with those people so much. It is the best thing in the world. It is like, if you want just a funny laugh, if you're a Scooby fan, or if you like Be Cool Scooby-Doo and you just want to get a laugh, follow John on Twitter because he has so much fun with those people. It is, it is rewarding. And I'm so thankful that he is so dang smart and quick that he can play with them. It just makes my day. But yeah, I, again, do I want everyone to love the show? Of course I do. I, I, I'm, I'm so sad that I spent this much time because all we were trying to do was deliver something entertaining. And when people want to just kind of knock it down, it's like, all right, well, I, I wasn't for you then, I guess. I, we all enjoyed working on it. Everyone on our crew thought it was worthy of what it was. And again, like, like yourself and others have found the joy in it. So I just try and look, I try and look past the, the negatives and look at all the people that actually do like it. Because that's the people that really matter to me in this. I can't, I can't change what we made either way. So you know, go ahead, be be a hateful, be a hater on it. They're not making any more. So there you go. You can go have your other versions to watch that are going to be, you know, their own kind of spin or take on the original classic. And hopefully that makes them happy. Definitely. And were there any challenges from working on the show? Yeah, I mean, you know, I have to be careful. I don't want to, um, I don't want to say anything that will get me or anyone in trouble. It, there was some definitely some tough times on the series, some def, definitely some struggles that that we had. Um, uh, and but mostly, again, like I said, I think uh, the the biggest things were like every show will complain about this. 
budget and time. I wish John had more in-house writers for him because he wound up doing such a large majority of all the rewrites on those episodes in just ridiculous amounts of time. Um, I wish uh, I, I learned a lot on that series as well too. You know, part of it is uh, like I like I talked about. I came onto a series that had a look already established and uh, Sam Register who who kind of fostered that. Um, Instead of me trying to make Sam happy and making them happy, I should have just said these aren't working and started over and said, if you want to do my vision, this is how we have to do it. And I need people to do that. And if you don't want to support that, then I'll, I shouldn't be working on the show. Um, it's probably one of the biggest lessons I learned besides a few others on that series that uh, I, maybe maybe everyone could have been a little happier with the artistic uh, look of the show if, if I had just taken a broader, stronger stance of maybe not trying to use the people that were there and starting with someone new, you know? Um, but those were like the biggest struggles was trying to find the overall tone and look of the show while the train was already left the station, right? I'm sure you guys have heard that, but this show was already purchased, bought. We were doing 52 episodes. We were running out the door, starting to write episodes while we were still trying to fix designs. And we had deadlines we had to meet. And so eventually you unfortunately have to go, I can't mess with this anymore. It's good enough. We have to move forward. So those are the struggles that I think anyone runs on in a show if if you're under those deadlines. But you know, it helps sometimes it helps make the best stuff because you can't overthink and overwork and overdesign something. You have to go with your first instinct. Um, but I will say this too, I am so incredibly, incredibly thankful that Warner Brothers, Sam Register, all of the people there allowed John and I to take this chance and these risks and these um these do these wonderful stories with these characters because Man, I learned so much and I'm so proud of what we did on that show that for all the good and positives and negatives that happened while I was at that studio, I'm so thankful that we got to create the series. And if it wasn't for them hiring me in the first place and allowing me to hire John, it would have never been there. And what was your favorite part of working on the show? Oh, I'm, I can't say John Barry enough, but working with him, he and I are like brothers and I just, he and I will just make each other, making each other laugh all day long and just challenging ourselves and finding each and like brightening up over the other person when they come up with a solution was my favorite part. I mean, I can't lie, like coming up with the stories and, and working on lines and working on jokes and working on things was by far, by far the best thing. And then again, and sitting there going, oh my gosh, we're working with like Scooby, like such an amazing like fantastic franchise that has been around forever and will never get knocked down no matter what. Right. We've seen, we've seen Scrappy-Doo. We've seen like, we've even seen, if you want to say, be cool Scooby-Doo has done everything it can to try and take down this franchise and it's not going anywhere. It's going to keep going. Right. It's like, it's amazing that I got to play with these characters that so many people have held dear to their heart. And I still hope at the end of the day, they see that what we did was uh, respect them. And do you have a favorite episode of Be Cool? Wow, I knew you were going to ask this question. It's That's so hard. That's like picking my favorite child. Like, which is my favorite? Um, I think the three that I would just throw down, or at least these two are ones that any someone, someone asked me, uh, the very first season, first episode of season two, which is some Fred time, is one of my favorites by far. I think it came out really well. I think it was really fun playing around with Fred, putting him out of commission, having everyone trying to solve this. I think artistically that show is beautiful from color palettes to design. The comedy of the director on that episode was 
super, super uh, on fire and really helped make that show really strong. Uh, an episode from season one that I love, El Bandito. Uh, I would tell everyone to definitely watch that one. You could almost start there to see what kind of fun we had, who these, what we've done with these characters, how we were playing with them in a different way. Um, and you'll see the comedy styling we're talking about right from the beginning. Starts out really silly, and when you first see the villain, it's beautiful. It's staged well. The colors are gorgeous. The design's really fun. So uh, I would say that. Um, those two are, gosh, I, I would just keep naming more. <laughs> like, there's so many I could just go through. It's so hard to say. Uh, I would just start with those two, I guess, are the two I would, I would throw in there. Um, I would also say, sorry, I would definitely tell everyone after you've gotten used to our characters to go check out um, Party Like It's 1899. I think the goofiness we played with those characters, uh, I don't know if it came out exactly the way I wanted to as far as visually and and like as, as far as directed wise. It's not, it's there, but it's not 100% there. But that, that episode and what we did with the characters is so silly and ridiculous and goofy that I think at the end of the day, anyone would enjoy that episode too. Definitely. Sorry, that wasn't one. Sorry, that wasn't just one. That was just, I'm just going to name them all. And then, but like, seriously, I'm sorry when I was trying to think about that because I'm like, oh my gosh, she's probably going to ask what my favorite episode is. Uh, and I started just like popping around and then I got lost watching the episodes. And I'm like, this is a great episode. Oh, wait, but this is great. Oh, but look what we did. Like the beginning of the um, kitchen, kitchen frightmare, I think it is. I love what we did with that chef and with the, the cheese. Oh no, it's a cheese man. Like, there's so many stupid things we did in these episodes, and I'm like, they're all my favorite. How about that? <laughs> that is totally, that's totally fine. I can't name one favorite either. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's so good to hear. I'm glad you like the series so much. Yeah, it's, I love it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, I was going to say, do you actually, and there's no wrong answer. Do you have a favorite? Um, now, now I'm going to recite a whole list of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I don't care. Do you have do you have a favorite like John and I said like we said we call them Daphneisms, and or Daphne du Jours is what we call them like the Daphne of the day. Um, did you have one that you that sticks out to your head? Um, one of the Daphneisms that sticks out to me is the one in the Renaissance Fair. Um, I love that. <laughs> where she's like, well, maybe someone would have invented lip balm. <laughs> she's so great. I love her so much. That one has that great thing did, uh, and again, I'm going back to the other interviews you may have had, but we also did this, one of these things that we talked about when I was mentioning all the things we remembered from Scooby-Doo, but we called them the haircut scenes. And they were like, the idea was where the old school or, or classic Scooby and Shaggy would get the monster who's coming in on them. They would like all of a sudden set up like a barber chair and put them in the barber chair and they'd start talking to them and cutting their hair and then they'd zip off screen, leaving the monster all confused. So we just called them... Uh, I think we call them the haircut scenes, but um, the one you were just talking about, the Renaissance Fair one, has the best one where like the the villain gets so demoted that he like leaves, gets on a bus, goes all the way home to his house, and it's like we're like we're just pushing this medium like there's like the the ideas that we had and where we wanted to push the series uh, was just so much fun, and the fact that like I said, they kind of let us do for the most part, uh, they kind of let us play in that world, and it's. It's why we have so many funny things in those series is because they kind of, they trusted us enough to let us do what we had to do, which was really wonderful. Definitely. Yeah, some of those haircut scenes are great. <laughs> like I said, how can you be upset? Like, like I said, I feel so bad for the, the, the I guess we, we all call them trolls, but the people that don't, that just want to hate on the show, cool. 
good. So that's like saying, I don't like ice cream sundaes. I'm never going to eat one because it looks weird to me. Cool. You're not going to enjoy it then. Go and have a life where you're not enjoying yourself. That's fine with me. I, I like all the things you're talking about. I can just keep, I can just keep going for days on what we did on these different episodes and how funny and silly they were. And I'm like, no one's doing that kind of stuff. It's sad that you're missing it. If you just hate it over a design and you don't want to see the funny that we put into it, then I guess that's like, cool. Then don't ever try an ice cream sundae. You're right. They're probably not great. Good. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that's why it's so hard to name a favorite episode. Cause I could name like pieces of each episode that I absolutely love, but <laughs> Me too. That's why I said it was so hard for me. I started popping around looking at these going, oh my God, I just want to sit here and watch these because they're so much fun. And I, to be honest with you, like I've said too, um, I'm kind of a workaholic on every job I've been on. Uh, so I have time for work, a little bit of time for my family, and then I find time to squeeze in sleep somewhere. And uh, so unfortunately, like even some of the ends of the second season, I've like only seen in script form or only saw it in the beginning because I just, I haven't had the time to look at everything. And so starting to watch those again, I'm like, oh man, I just need to start binging these and just watching them because I'll just sit there and I want to call John and like hug him through the phone and be like, you're just brilliant. Like some of his stuff he did was just so funny. And, or like I said, we came up with stupid things like the first episode, but that one guard is like tactics. Like he's always trying to use his tactics to find and figure out who these people are. Like just stupid things that we came up with. Oh, it's so, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. That's how it should be, right? When we're creating these shows, if we're not laughing and having a good time, then you're doing something wrong. And I'm sorry, one more thing to add to that real quick too, because I don't want to, like, I wish I could go through and like pull up the, the crew list and talk about everyone, but everyone on that show, even people that, that left the show or that, um, like I said, the original art director and the original character designer, everyone brought such amazing work to this series. The directors helped us out of jams and helped us fix things at times when stuff wasn't working. There was a, an executive producer above me, Michael Jelnick, who was so good about just sitting there and harping on us and making sure when we were going off track on a scene or we were getting too talky, he would really try and guide us into the right pocket. And so uh, everyone that has their name on that series uh, brought something so amazing to it that, you know, without everyone's kind of help, we wouldn't have had this great show. So I just wanted to say that because, like I said, I don't think the directors and the art director and the 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 character designers and even prop designers don't get enough props because they they really really did so much great work on the series and you know those trolls are out there saying stuff and I feel so bad for these guys because it's like man would you just pause on that episode and look at what else is going on on that screen look at the colors look at the design it's beautiful so anyway I just wanted to give everyone a big hug how about that that's perfect with Scooby, there's been a few airing issues over the last few series where it tends to just generally be more difficult to watch them. Did you find that with Be Cool? And that's the that's the most frustrating thing that's been part of this industry and Cartoon Network more than anything since day one. And I know this was like originally it was going to be on Cartoon Network, then it went to Boomerang, then it was on both. And, you know, that's something that unfortunately that network has had problems with for the last 20 years plus of uh, how and when they schedule things and what's important to them and what's not. You know, if you even look at some of the original advertisings for Be Cool Scooby-Doo, and if you look at all the DVD covers even, they're still, they're not following what our show was, right? They thought our show was the old school Scooby-Doo. So everything's about Shaggy and Scooby. And we were like, well, we kind of didn't focus on those guys. That's not who we were trying to write with and play with. We didn't forget about them, but that's not 
what the show is. So if you go look at a lot of the ads in the beginning, it was them trying to pull just funny moments from Shaggy and Scooby. And we're like, oh, you guys are missing your mark. And so we also said that about the show itself. I don't know if they were putting it in the right spot for the right audience at first as well, because maybe they didn't understand really what they had. If they thought they had an original Scooby-Doo and they were putting it in a pocket that that would go versus something that was more of like, we kind of looked at ourselves as like this bridge as far as our comedy, that it's definitely for kids too, but that is hitting the adult kids too, or be it more adults. So we were like, oh, this should be a bridge that falls in the later evening um, to see if it can catch that in-between audience. But uh, but yeah, like scheduling with that network has always been an odd thing that we didn't we couldn't figure out. The series before us had the same problem where they were just not, they were getting shoved into the worst time blocks. Um, and there's other politics, I think, that go along with that as well that I heard about, about what studio things were being created with and who wanted to promote what. Um, but that's all conjecture. It's not proven. For sure. And um, is there any way to persuade Warner Brothers to release the second season on DVD? Yeah, I don't know why they haven't. You know, I don't understand why. Maybe they're, I'm wondering if they're just thinking the DVD market isn't as strong anymore, that maybe the sales of the first ones didn't do that well. So coming up and printing and sending out the second set is maybe not going to be worth the uh, money, whereas most people are just, buying them or purchasing them online to watch them because i think maybe youtube has some of them i'm not sure maybe they're just finding that since the whole world is going digital it's more of a cost effective thing for them to just make them um i hope so for everyone's sake that they release them so everyone can have their own copies to watch in their own way that would be a good thing uh persuading them i don't know i'm not gonna be able to i don't think they're ever gonna listen to me that's for sure fair enough <laughs> but yeah, I will. Uh, I'll just make copies and send them to you, and you can watch them that way. No, I, I can't do that. I know, but I wish you could. Yeah. And uh, a couple more questions here before sure. before I I think that covers everything. <laughs> this is gonna be like your first like seven hour podcast. Everyone, we're gonna put in a bathroom break, and uh, <laughs> like, don't ask me what time. Like I used to say this about another friend. Don't ask him what time it is because he'll build you a watch, and it's like yeah. Unfortunately, I sometimes won't shut up. So I hope that's okay. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So what else you got for me? What was it like to come in to work on a show with characters that you grew up watching? Again, like I said, it was something that we really respected. We really tried to, again, I, I didn't want to dive into all the minutia and all the details because I didn't want it to control what we were doing. But I think we really, really handled it with respect. So it was amazing to get to, I think I said a little bit earlier too, getting to like hold hands with these amazing characters and play with them for two years, right? Like that was a really wonderful thing that I think we tried to respect, but we also tried to just push and have fun with. So yeah, how, how I, don't, I don't know what to say other than how much fun it was being able to, um, to be able to play in that sandbox with those characters was just so much fun every day, definitely. And did you ever feel any pressure when you were tackling a franchise that's been going on for so long? Let's see. Um, I, I guess a little bit, because like I said, there were certain things with Scooby and Shaggy that we wanted to do. I can't specifically remember what some of them are, but 
just in general, there were certain things that we wanted to kind of steer with and play differently with. And we would get the notes of like, again, oh, you got to figure out how to make that food joke work. And we're like, it's not a joke. It's just them eating, but all right. Um, so struggles like that, where we would have to honor certain things that I think we wanted to completely shy away with. Uh, that was a little tough at times. Um, and again, like we talked about the designs, that was probably the toughest thing. Cause I think all of us, the studio included, were not a hundred percent happy with that, that end result. And, uh, I think that was, again, you're looking at these characters that have been around forever, but those original designs and the way they worked, I couldn't act them the way I wanted to for the comedy we had. I don't think it would have played as well. So that was a huge struggle to try and overcome. Definitely. Um, and what do you think it is about Scooby that has uh, held up for so long and has been going for over 50 years now? Yeah, I think that's a really wonderful question. I think, uh, I think all of us love the idea of being able to unmask and kind of uncover the evils of the world and find out that they're really just some sad little person underneath. <laughs> and it's nice to, you know, that episodes always had that. It was always the, the things that we're scared of the most, you eventually find out they're really not, uh, they're not as evil and as bad as they are. And they're just some, some easy, easy, simple minded person that you can overcome. Uh, I think kids being able to see that and laugh at what scares them and then show the idea that we're all just, all of us, unfortunately, are wearing masks at the end of the day, right? We're all so much afraid to let everyone see what we are underneath and just uncovering everyone's mask and lifting off everyone's mask at the end of the day is a good thing. Um, so I think, yeah, I think a mystery show that has a super comedy that at the end of the day you find out is really not that scary is a perfect, perfect formula that I think will hit every generation forever. We're always going to be dealing with that, right? Definitely. I think that covers all of the questions that I had for you. Is there anything else that you wanted to add at all that we maybe didn't go into or any other stories or memories that you wanted to share? Wow. Like I said, at some point you should do a, a four hour podcast and just get John and I on together. And we, he's got a better memory than I will, but once something's triggered, then I will remember them. Uh, I, I can't, I think I covered in general, the basics of, of everything. Um, yeah, I mean, it's sad that we won't ever see another version of, of our version of Scooby-Doo again, because I think we could have continued to make it even stronger and uh, gathered even more audiences. But um, I'm just glad we got to put up as many episodes as we did with these characters, because that's the cool thing, right? No one can ever take them away. They're there now forever. And I had heard that someone else is doing a new Scooby series or a new movie, I can't remember which, definitely is looking at all of the different Scooby iterations and found some things from what we did that he wants to take and grab into his own version, if you will. And that's very flattering. That means we did something right. So um, I don't think I have anything else to add. I'm, I'm sad that I'll never be able to revisit them because I liked what we were doing, uh, but it's time for someone else to put their version and their spin on them. Perfect. Um, and do you have any recent projects that you'd like to promote at all? Or if there's any social media channels where people can follow what you're up to? Yeah, the only other thing I'm going to share is I'm getting to work on another one of those projects that I just, uh, remember I told you about drinking the Kool-Aid on a show um, where you sometimes don't realize, <laughs> like maybe I'm not on the best show ever, but 
Uh, I'm working on a show with the show creator Sanjay Patel, uh, a show called Ghee Happy, G-H-E-E, -E, Happy. And uh, Sanjay's uh, kind of incorporating um, his uh, South Asian culture uh, along with growing up in California and taking those kind of two points of views and creating a show that's going to be uh, very, hopefully very worldwide accepted, not just for our audiences of crossing and bringing in a little bit of both of those cultures to uh, a world of, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a bridge show, almost like a preschool bridge show where we've taken four of the deities, uh, Ganesha, uh, Swati, uh, Kali, and, um, uh, and Krishna and put them in a daycare. And we're getting to kind of get exposed to that culture and that side of, of way of thinking. Um, through their eyes and uh, are having fun character stories. And the show is going to look amazing. It's being done for Netflix. Unfortunately, it's not going to be ready as many things in this industry take for a while, but keep your eyes open for it because it's going to definitely make a, a big storm. It's just, it's gorgeous. Like the artists, again, the artists on that team are just some of the best I've ever worked with in this industry. And I can't wait for the world to see it. Um, so I'll probably make sure that I bug you again when it comes out just so you can check it out. Um, and then social media, I unfortunately, because I work so much, I don't get to really update very much. I have a website, which is just my name, ZachMoncrief.com. Uh, uh, I have an Instagram, but I never, ever post to it. I'm just too busy. Uh, but you can always check in just in case. You never know. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll do something crazy and surprise you. So, yeah, that's about it. Perfect. Well, I think that covers everything. I think we've uh, covered all the bases here. <laughs> and more than you wanted to, I'm sure. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for even asking me to, to talk about it. Again, like I said, I'm sorry. I wish, I wish we had talked four years ago because it would have been way more fresh in my mind. But I still think I covered most of what I was uh, hoping to, to talk about. Because like I said, I'm just I'm happy that people are enjoying the series. Definitely. And thank you so much again for taking the time to, uh, to, to spend your afternoon chatting with me about Be Cool. Sure, sure. I, I'm so happy I got to do it. Thank you again so much. And that concludes today's episode. Another huge thank you to Zach Moncrief for chatting with me. For more groovy content, be sure to check at UnmaskedSD on Twitter at UnmaskedSDPodcast on Instagram, or at UnmaskedSDPodcast.com. You can also find the podcast on Facebook under the Unmasked History of Scooby-Doo podcast. If you like this episode and want to hear more, also make sure to check those social media channels or the website. Or you can listen to older episodes wherever you like to get your podcast fix. And if you want to follow Zach, you can find him on Twitter at Zach Moncrief. Thanks for listening! And stay tuned for the next episode in this month's Be Cool Scooby-Doo theme, which features director James Krensky. Scooby-Dooby-Doo!